Hello and welcome to Tea and Educate, a light-hearted discussion-based podcast made with teachers for teachers. So grab a cuppa, sit back and relax as we delve into a new slice of education chit-chat with every show. In this episode, we talk to Ronaldo Lawrence, e-learning creator for a multi-academy trust in the southeast of England. I hope you like it. Welcome to Tea and Educate, Ronaldo. It's such a pleasure to have you as a guest. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. I've been relegated to what do you call this place? You know, where you have all the washing machines and everything, because everybody has got meeting in my house. So, oh, how are things like, with you? I'm good. I like the beard. Thank you. It's called my, um, what do I call it? My COVID-19 beard. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like quite a few people have them. My friend's dad yes. has grown one in protest because he can't go down the club that he'd go down every night. <laughs> He's like, I'm not getting rid of this until I can go back to the club. <laughs> I've just called it lazy. That's all I would call it. I think it suits you. I really like it. Thank you. Right. Should we get started? Yeah, let's get started. Before we crack on with our main topic for today, let's get to know you a little bit better with a few questions that offer us a quick snapshot into who you are as an educator. So first things first, why did you decide to become a teacher? What was your key motivation? I was fortunate enough to have individuals in my life. Um, Mr. Kenneth Creekmore was a band teacher and Oscar Dason was the basketball coach. And both of those individuals took time out for me. They went far and beyond what it took to, to help raise an individual. And so I've always said it to myself that if I ever had the opportunity to give back to the world, to my community, that I would. And I don't think there's any opportunity out there in the world, like teaching in terms of giving back and in terms of making sure that you're affecting a lot of people at one time. So that's, that's pretty much what happened with me and why I decided to go into teaching. That's so lovely. And what has been your proudest moment of your teaching career so far and why? I think the proudest moment for me is, to be honest with you, is just having the ability to sit in front of my students and them to see me for who I am. Most of the time, at all the schools I've been, there's a good chance that I'm probably one of the only people that look like me in the schools I've been in. And so I feel almost representative of everybody that looks like me. And I feel as though when those kids deal with me, they deal with everybody that look like me. So I take it very seriously how I treat them and how I act around them. So it's, it's, um, it's been really important that I make sure that everything that I do has a rhythm and has a pattern to what I do but it's done naturally and it's not done in an unauthentic way. Um, and I just, I love what I do. And I love what I do because I've been blessed enough to have a second career, you know, cause my first career was basketball and basketball gave me everything. And then to be able to teach and to deal with computers in my second life, so to speak, I'm lucky. I'm very blessed. Aww. We'll come back to your basketball later on. Mm, sure. Sure. What has been the most valuable lesson that you've learned as a teacher? The most valuable lesson I think I've learned is that everyone, we are all one. And I think when I was growing up in school, I wasn't the brightest kid in the classroom. The school didn't really engage me a lot. And I think what happened with that is I learned that regardless of what you do, you've got to be able to talk to everybody. And so you have to talk to the people who are interested, who are uninterested, Find a way to communicate whatever you want to communicate with them. And I think what it's taught me is that, you know, regardless of who you are, some things you're interested in, some things you're not interested in, but the key to life is finding the things that make your heart sing. 
And I think with teaching is the ability to have 25, 30 kids in the classroom and get through to the majority of them because you're never going to get through to everybody. But get through to the majority of them, I, I think that has been, for me, the most precious thing. And I think that we're all one is a really important and poignant message, especially at the mm. moment, isn't it? And that's a, yes. a really important one that we as educators can get across. Yes, yes, without a doubt. And you know, the crazy thing about it is this, is that regardless of what happens, all of us go through the same thing. It just has a different face, but it's the same meaning and the same everything. And that we, all, we all think that we're going through something that's been unique to the human race, but it's not. You know, we're human beings. So as human beings, we go through the same thing. Unfortunately, some people suffer more in different ways than others, but in terms of generally, our feelings are the same. Yeah, absolutely. Our main discussion point for today is technology and education and technology for learning. Since lockdown, technology has obviously played a huge role in keeping students up and down the country learning, whether that be via live lessons, access to voiceover PowerPoints, use of online platforms, interactive websites, or simply email communication between students and teachers. All of us in education have become really heavily dependent on technology. Within the trust that you currently work, you fulfill the role of e-learning creator. What does your role normally involve and how has it changed over the past few months since we went into lockdown? Well, first of all, in terms of my role, I'm living my best life in terms of my role, because this is what I've been trying to tell people for the longest, that we need to make sure that teachers are competent in the use of IT. We need to make sure that students are competent in terms of home learning, which, to be honest with you, has not happened. Um, so my job is I work with all or the majority of teachers in school. I have them to come to my office, and then we record video based on their curriculum. Some of the video is done with green screen. Some is done without green screen. And then what we take is we take that video, and then we amalgamate it with all the other content, so video, audio, images, whatever we amalgamate with the other content. And then we use that content to help teach the students. And I think, why well, I just say, wow, because right now, this is where it's at. And just to have the ability to create that content, but even more importantly for me, have the ability to share with other people how to create that content has been really powerful for me. During lockdown, how have you been able to support colleagues and students? And how has the transition to home learning been? For the first thing that I did, once I knew that we was going to be off, I created like about 15, 16 videos for staff to use and put them on my website so they could have access to how to do things like using Google Meet, like using Loom Video, various things like that. I also ran some um, technology tips. So we have technology tips that people can actually listen to. And then I've created content. So all, all of my content for my students is video-based. So I'll do video and then send it out where they can actually then use that content in order to learn. And what would you say the uptake's been like? What would you say your student engagement has been like? I say the older kids has been fantastic. The younger kids, not so much. And again, I think that goes back to teaching people how to do things. So if you start from year seven and teach them that this is the way, then they will understand how to do things and, and the, the meaning toward everything. Just like the Chromebooks. Now we have all year sevens with Chromebooks. So now they know how to use the Chromebooks. So now when they need to do work, they automatically go to the Chromebook. You can't expect people to do things if they haven't been taught or if it haven't been directed in some way. 
Yes, yeah, so I'm head of year seven and one of the barriers that we found at the start of lockdown was students accessing work online. In year seven, they just didn't need to know how to use emails. They didn't need to know how to use an online learning platform. So everything that they've had to adapt to, they've had to do it independently at home without us showing them how to do it. It's been really impressive to see how quickly they've adapted, how quickly they've evolved and how keen and enthusiastic they've continued to be for their learning, even when we've been away from school for such a long period of time. I don't think there's any greater time than having to do it when you're forced to do it, like now. Because sometimes there won't be somebody to teach you how to do it, and you have to trial and error, trial and error. And that's why we created all those videos, so people would actually can see somebody do it, and then they can model based on the video. Yeah. You know, so, uh, but yeah, it's been tough. And, And to have to learn something all new, it can be a challenge, you know, but I think what it has shown us now is that we need to learn what is new and we need to invest in our people. But I will say one thing, it is important that you invest in yourself and it's up to you to sort of get your own path and get your own learning journey yourself, because if you don't, you will be left behind. And COVID is a perfect time to improve your skills and to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So technology has obviously had huge advantages to learning during the pandemic, but one of the key things that the increased use of technology has highlighted and potentially widened is the disadvantage gap. Whilst many families have been able to support their children with accessing devices and online resources, it is really important to recognise that this, this hasn't been the case for all. Many families don't have computer access and or Wi-Fi, whilst other households may have access but they've only got one shared device. So parents have to use that for their work or there's multiple children, so then they're fighting over it. Now that schools have gained a closer insight into family setups at home, how do you think we can use this knowledge and understanding to ensure that access to technology is not a factor that limits students' learning? So how do we use the pandemic as an opportunity to make it fair access for all? I think what has to happen, it has to start with the major companies, the BTs, the versions, you know, all those people who have the power to make a reduction in the cost. Also, I think it has to happen where a lot of companies are saying, okay, if this is the school, let's sponsor the school, but we can make sure that the school has access to, to, to technology. I think, you know, I'm telling you one of the craziest things I've ever heard. If there's a company that's right by me, by my school, and they have 100 computers, and they can't just give my school the computers. They have to throw those computers away. Something to do with, you know, that is ludicrous. That is absolutely ludicrous. So I think we need to have a, a rethink about what we're doing with the surplus that's out there, you know, and what we're doing that way. But I think the main key is, you know, trying to get some of these companies to integrate with the schools and talk to the schools. One of the things I've done since I've been um, doing this COVID thing is I've been working with the borough of Lambeth. And I've been working with um, a woman, her name is Vanessa. And what we've been doing is running courses the last four Saturday mornings for parents with kids with autism and trying to help them be able to help their kids and help themselves. And so we've taught them the Google platform. We've taught them how to create websites. And it's been tremendous because these are some of the people who are left behind. You know what I mean? These are some of the people who will not have the opportunity. These are some of the people who might not have the better devices, you know, and there's one lady, she doesn't have a lot of devices and she's just with her daughter. And like you said, they're trying to share devices. So it's very difficult, you know, it's very, very difficult. So I think now, and one of the things that we're going to try to do, we're going to try to 
for a lot of these parents with autism is try to get them some devices. So I'm going to try to talk to some companies about that and see how we can help help some of these people in some way. Um, there's a lot of people out there that don't have, you know, yeah. and I was talking to my next door neighbor the other day and I just said to him, we were just talking about some of the kids who don't have, and he just said, you know, it's not in his world. So he would never even come to him that kids don't have, that there are families that don't have. Because here we live in leafy Surrey, you know, where most people have. And, uh, but there's, I think there's more people that don't have than have. And, and I think now it's time as a society that we need to break down some of these barriers and make sure that more people have. Absolutely. So that, that's sort of my life's mission. return to normality how do you think schools will utilize technology moving forward realistically and what do you think will be the lasting impact of the pandemic on e-learning in terms of school going back um, on the 8th my school they are meeting to decide how they're going to deal with this online in-school learning um, and I think that's going to be the the problem for every every school so how do you get a balance and I'm not sure how they're going to get that balance because of the equality thing. If you've got and I don't have, and I'm in school or home or wherever, if I don't have, I stand a less chance of being successful than you do. So until the government, until companies get serious about taking care of everybody, I don't think it will ever be a balance. I just really don't. I think it's going to be very difficult. What was the second part of the question? What do you think the long-term impact will be of the pandemic on e-learning? I think it can be two things. Number one, I think it's a blessing. I really do. I think it's a blessing because I think people now need to understand that they need to understand how to use these devices because these devices are not going away. The second thing is, if you want to be employable, you have to have these skills. You have to develop these skills. And, and like it or not, that's the way it's going to be. And if you look at companies like Microsoft, like um, TechSmith, like Adobe, they have let things go for free now over yeah. this period of time so people can interact. You know, if you look at Google, what Google did with Google Meet, that was a paid service because it used to be Google Hangouts. Now they've integrated into the free online, you know, if you've got a free uh, Google account, they've integrated into there. Uh, they've integrated into the classroom. And like I said, the stuff is free. So you need to take it's advantage of it. going to stay free though. Do you think after all this, all of those elements that schools have now brought into, into their settings and what they're utilizing, do you think there will suddenly be a, a huge cost burden to continue with those services? No, I think a lot of it will remain free. And I think if there's anything, what will happen is you will have a service that's free. And then if you want more, you pay. I think that's probably what will happen. But still, there are some people out there right now who are creating content for free, that it will remain free, that you can create content. Let me put it like this. If you really want to do it, you'll find a way to do it. Do you think technology will ever replace teachers? No, no. I, I think it's the, the human element that's so important. But I think what will happen is technology will play a major part in how we are delivering content to students. I have a friend who's in um, Rotterdam. And so what, he, what they're doing is some of the kids come in and then they have all the other kids on the board, on the interactive whiteboard. Aww. So all the kids are you know, in school like that. You know, so if you want to come in, you can. If you don't, you don't, you know, so. And I like how that sort of 
focus where you have the students in school but then you have the rest remote but visible yes. it but really visible. maintains that sense of unity and family doesn't it within the yes class. it does yes it does and i'm gonna tell you something if you teach kids how to do things they can be amazing but they need to be taught so they need to be taught that if you want to say something you click on the hand you don't just blurt out something you know yeah. you have to teach them the etiquette of being online you know so that's a process um, and it's a process that I think that all of us now will need to start looking at seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Before we finish, I was hoping we could have a chat about life before teaching. Your LinkedIn profile shares how you are the fourth leading scorer in the history of British basketball, mm -hmm. which is pretty impressive. How did you get into basketball and how did this lead into you becoming a teacher? You know, life is crazy. I used to be a saxophone player when I was younger. Did you? Brother, yeah, tenor saxophone. Do you still play? And, no, I don't. And that's one, of my big, that's one of my biggest regrets. My brother played the trumpet, my older brother. And Kenneth Creekmore was the first, and I have to say this because it's important, Kenneth Creekmore was white. And he was the first white man that I ever had pay attention to me, not for what he wanted, so to speak, but for what he wanted to give. And so he was a band teacher. And so he used to take us around the state of South Carolina. I, I played in, the, I was in the marching band. So we used to march before football games, halftime of games. Uh, I used to play in the jazz band. So we played a lot of jazz. And he introduced me to a world where I understood that people are people, you know, and it doesn't matter the color of the skin, it matters that the character of the individual. And he used to go to the basketball games. And I noticed that all the basketball players and all the girls were hanging around the basketball players. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. So I quit the band and I started playing basketball. And I was fortunate enough to have enough talent to play on, on the basketball team. And someone said to me once, man, I think you might be able to get a scholarship. And I'm like, yeah, right. But I kept playing and lo and behold, I got a scholarship. And from high school, I went to university. Then from university, I got drafted uh, by the Clippers. And then uh, when I got cut, then I went overseas. And I spent most of my adult life overseas. I ended up in countries like South America, Finland, Russia. And then basketball allowed me to, when I finally settled here, basketball gave me my family, my kids, and my wife. Now, basketball is amazing. The thing I love about basketball is that it teaches you teamwork because you can't win a game by yourself. And it teaches you camaraderie. And it teaches you that everybody has issues, but you try to put those issues together to be successful. And it teaches you to be unselfish because you can't be selfish. Or you can be selfish, but you have to curtail that selfishness in order to amalgamate as a team and make it as a team. Because no one individual wins, it takes a team. And if you look at any other facet in life, that's what it's about, teamwork. Yeah, I imagine some really key transferable skills between basketball and whatever whatever else you choose to do, really. But yes. the selfishness element and the teamwork and camaraderie are obviously really key aspects and yes. relevant skills for teaching. Very much so. So you've also written a book about your life called I Am More Than What You See, A Small Journey Through a Big World. Why did you choose to write your story and what can other people learn from it? I think, first of all, You've spent time on this planet and you've learned lessons. There will be other people when you're gone who will spend time on this planet. Why not help them to avoid the mistakes that you have or understand how to enjoy the good times that you have 
why not help them? So through the book. And what I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that my kids understood that whatever you put your mind to, you can do. So that was one of the main reasons. And the other reason was in a hundred years time, somebody would know that I was here. And also we have comic books, you know, I've done comic books and uh, with the comic books is the same thing. And how cool is this with the Black Lives Matters uh, situation going on now, my comic books have people of color in them. You know, and I don't care who you are. You need to see somebody that looks like you in order to do whatever you want to do. I think in history, too long have a lot of it been told that's a bit a lie. And I think now we're beginning to see now, or hopefully people will see what actually happened through history. You know, because there's been some momentous things that have happened in history that we were never taught. And hopefully now that we will see. And I think with what's going on now, I've seen some other stuff going and it didn't feel like this. This feels special. This feels like it's going to stick, you know. And so that book is a combination of my life. And that book is a combination of everything. And I'm on my second one now. I'm halfway through my second one. And what's your Uh, second one about? Is it just a continuation of your story? Ish. So the second one is... We talk about a lot about uh, social media in the second one and how important social media is. But what I've done is I have a lot of hashtags. And then what I've done is written about stories that reflect those hashtags, things that have happened to me in my life. But have we done that? And one final and very important question for my podcast. Mm-hmm. If you were a cake, what would you be and why? I would be a strawberry upside down cake. A strawberry upside down cake? Strawberry upside down cake. So what happens is when my mom used to bake cakes, they used to make cakes with strawberry all on the top. And then what they would do is they would put under the bottom of it, they would put like some sort of cream and then they would turn it over, but it's halfway cooked and then have another part. So they have the two bits cooking and then put it on top and then cook it the rest of the time. And so you would almost have like double the strawberries and double the creams. And that's what he's called a strawberry upside down cake. Is that an American thing? Is it like yes. an, an actual thing? <laughs> well, yes. I'm not kidding. I'm going to yes. look it up. I'm it's intrigued. An American thing. Yeah, it's an American thing. Strawberry upside down cake. Because yeah. we have pineapple upside down cake, which is like a 70s classic, but it, it doesn't sound as exciting. No, it's not. I, I've had pineapple upside down cake. Strawberry <laughs> upside down cake. It's my favorite. Yep, my grandmother used to do it. Well, thank you so much, Ronaldo. Oh, That's been amazing. Pleasure. Pleasure. Um, thank you. I'll let you leave your utility room now and go back to your <laughs> that's, family. That's the word. That's the word I can think of, utility room. Yes, <laughs> I, I could think that. <laughs> yeah, they've kicked me out of every place else. Everybody's got meetings all over the house. So I know my place in life. So. Aww. <laughs> in the laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> what an incredible man. Thank you so much, Ronaldo. A really great chat with lots for us to think about. It'll be interesting to see what lasting impact the pandemic has for technology for learning. Watch this space. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter and your chosen podcast platform. Leave us a review and share us far and wide. I'm off to find a recipe for strawberry upside down cake, but I'll be back soon for another slice of tea and edu cake.